and children, you are dismissed. Enjoy that new area back there. That's a miracle in it of itself. Jason and Israel and Dennis say amen. And Terrence to that, right? That's a miracle back there. Um, if you have your word, and I pray that you do, go ahead and turn to Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're almost going to finish chapter 12, uh, verses 35 through 40. If you don't have your word, the scriptures are up there on the screen. I know people are hot. We're working on that, trying to cool it off in here. It gets hot all of a sudden, just when people get in here. So, uh, Okay, Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. If you're there, say amen. And Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David therefore himself calls him Lord. And whence he is then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, in the chief seats in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. Wow. Let me remind you, um, that our text tonight immediately follows the question Jesus was asked by one of the scribes regarding the greatest of commandments. This is what we taught on uh, last week. And having pleased this particular scribe with his answer, um, the remainder of those present were reluctant to challenge Jesus any further. And can you blame them, right? Um, Jesus had answered, but this was the one and only one who received, actually received the answer that Jesus had given. And, um, and so that's something to think about. And although Jesus had silenced the crowd that day, he chose not to remain silent. Hear me. He silenced the crowd, and that could have been good enough in and of itself. Okay, they're quiet. I'm, you know, I'm just going to go on. But no, he chose not to remain silent. In fact, knowing he had their undivided attention, Jesus began to challenge them regarding their view of him. The Lord knew the majority had not received him as Christ, but he was committed to revealing himself as such for those who were willing to hear. See, he had dealt with numerous questions by those in the temple, and now it was his turn to ask some questions, right? It was his turn now. After going through all that he had been through, now he's going to turn the tables, and he's going to be the one asking the questions. But I want you to know that he always longs to reveal himself to his people. He always longs to make himself known to us. But are we willing to see him for who he truly is? In verses 35 through 37, we find the witness of the Lord's deity. Uh, knowing the skepticism and the doubt of many, Jesus confronted those within the temple regarding his deity. See, we should always be willing to confront wrong within the church. Jesus did it. He's our greatest example. But we always must do that with Scripture. And, and how do I know that? Because 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 plainly tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, meaning it's going to be for your good. When correction comes with the word, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be beat down, uh, beat up, made to feel horrible. No, that's not the purpose in correcting with the word. That the man of God may be perfect, not meaning sinless, 
but growing in their relationship with the Lord, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. See, we do the body of Christ a grave injustice when we like to sweep things under the rug that's going on within the church. Uh, I think Brother Larson kind of hit that in, uh, I know, one, if not both of his sermons. Jason and I talked about that Tuesday in our Galatians Bible study. The body of Christ has the Word of God. We need to stand on the authority of the Word of God, and we need to use the uh, Word of God as he's instructed us to do so within the church. See, we want to use it to call out wrong for sinners, but it should be used within the church first and foremost. The church house has got to get right. We've got to get on our knees. We've got to get on our face before the Lord. We've got to repent. We've got to pray the prayer of David, the heart of David, create in me a clean heart, Lord. Renew a right spirit in me. We've got to get back to that. And the only way to do that is to correct with the word, to use the word. I dare say each one of us has not had an opportunity to correct a professing believer during these past several weeks with all of the election stuff going on. We've had an opportunity to use the word to back up our stance, our stand. Have we taken advantage of it? Or have we chosen to remain silent and trying to dodge confrontations? I'm not saying go looking for a fight. But when the opportunity presents itself, present the word. Give them the word. Jesus took full advantage of their undivided attention, and now he's asking them the questions. But what does he always use? The scripture. He always uses the word of God. See, the questions of his deity are found in verse 35. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? See, likely no one in the crowd that day would have questioned or denied the authority of scriptures. Today they will. Oh, today, well, I don't believe that. Don't, don't use that on me. That's not going to work on me. Right? That's where we've gotten to. It's been the downward spiral since creation. And that's where we are now. People do not realize the authority of the Word of God. And I'm here to tell you tonight that whether you deny it, reject it, say it's hogwash, whatever, it doesn't change the fact that this is absolute truth. Absolute, the only absolute truth. So nobody there that day would have denied the authority of the Scripture. See, the scribes that were there, they were given the task of transcribing the Scriptures in order to reproduce it for other people to read. That was their job. That's what they did. And it's interesting when you uh, look at the parallel passage in Matthew twenty-two forty-two. 42, um, this is what it says, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. Right? That's the parallel scripture of this. They readily admitted that the Christ was the son of David as it was revealed in scriptures. So the questions of Jesus had a purpose. Don't you know that everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord has a purpose? It has a purpose. It has a plan. Going back to 2 Timothy 3.16. It's profitable. Every word from Genesis to Revelation If you will allow it through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will profit you. It's not to do you harm. It's to profit you, to make you better. He wasn't seeking information for his benefit. He already knew their hearts. He knows our hearts in here tonight, each and every one of us. There's not one thing that is hidden from him. Not one thing. We can even deceive ourselves, fool ourselves into thinking that we've hidden things because we've done it so well from, for other people. We've hidden things from others that we convince ourselves that we've hidden things from the Lord. But that's not true. Nothing is hidden from him. He was not at this moment seeking to discern what they thought of him. But he specifically asked who they considered Christ to be. 
He asked them point blank, who was the Christ? Who was the Messiah? And they rightly affirmed that Christ was the son of David, but they failed to see Jesus as the Christ, right? And this was a major point of contention. These questions remain today. They're no less significant now than they were then. Who is the Christ? What does the Bible reveal about him? See, did Jesus not fulfill every prophecy concerning the coming of Christ? If he did, and we know that he did, then why do so many have a problem accepting Jesus as the sole means of salvation? I don't know if you've ever watched this before. I encourage you to. Jason and I years ago went through this teaching called Way of the Master. Um, I don't 100% agree with everything that Ray uh, Comfort, uh, you know, stands by. There's some issues there, just minor things. But as far as his tools and evangelism and witnessing, he is right on. He's the one who you'll see, he does street ministry, and he'll come up and say, do you think you're a good person? You know, and he has that accent. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to mimic it because I can't. And people always say, yeah, I'm a good person. Well, have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, everybody tells a lie. Well, have you ever stolen anything? Yeah, when I was like six years old. So by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, you know, and he goes through this whole thing. And tells them, so if you were to stand before a holy God, would you be found guilty or innocent? Guilty. Wow. Right? How does that make you feel? Because people, he'll say, do you believe in the Lord? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in a high power? And most people say, no. I mean, look it up. Way of the Master. There's videos after videos. That's Sage's nightly ritual. That's what she does at night before she goes to bed. She watches about five of them, and the next morning, I have to watch them. <laughs> I'm like, I've seen them all, honey. I, I know, but I'm glad she's into that. But it just blows my mind how people are so quick to deny that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only means of salvation. We are living in an evil world. And it's not getting any better. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But that doesn't give us a pass in not doing our part. See, the affirmation of his deity comes in verses 36 and 37. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself called him Lord, and whence he then his son, referring to the messianic psalm, and we know this psalm uh, in Psalms 110 and 1, uh, Jesus declared that David had written these words through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Yahweh said unto his Lord Adonai, now this is back in the Old Testament, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now David had not lived to see Christ. He didn't see Jesus in the flesh. But through the Spirit, he recognized him as Lord and Christ, as both, right? And this was the confusion, as Lord and the Son of God, having a place of authority on the right hand of the Father. David affirmed the deity of Christ not even having seen him. He knew. And yet, these in this text, they stood in his presence. They stood right before him and failed to recognize Jesus as the Christ. How many times are we in his presence and we miss him? How many times? It breaks my heart to think, how many times, Lord, have I missed you? How many times, Lord, Sometimes we're just preoccupied with other things. Our minds are just in other places. We just, we get lost in our thoughts. And then it's over and you just leave. All the while the Lord was here and he was walking back and forth, up and down through the aisles, longing, waiting, drawing you into a relationship with him, a deeper relationship, longing to reveal himself to you in a greater way. But yet, we missed it. 
David affirmed the deity of Christ through recognizing his position with the Father, calling him his Lord while being led by the Spirit. Jesus then asked a question, and they, of course, were reluctant to answer after all that had been going on that day, right? If David called the Messiah his Lord, how then could he be his son? That was the big question. If he called him Lord, then how could he be his son? But the Scripture declared that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. But Jesus was pointing to a greater truth, right? If these only saw the humanity of Jesus, but failed to recognize his deity as the Christ, they would be unable to receive him as their Savior. See, a mere man would have been unable to provide their deliverance and redemption. Had Christ not been God in the flesh, there would be no salvation. He too, we too, must see him as more than a man who walked upon the earth with great wisdom, performing mighty acts. We must see him as the sovereign Lord. See, a lot of times we miss his deity around Christmas. Why? Because we're so wrapped up, we're so caught up in the baby in a manger. Right? Oh, a sweet little baby in the manger. Who doesn't love a baby in a manger, right? And that's what we see him as. But we shouldn't stop there. Yes, thank God that he came to this earth, that he took on the form of man. He took on flesh. And he came to this earth as a baby, but he was 100% God when he was laying in that manger. All the power he possessed as a baby, he, lay a, he laid it aside. But he never lost possession of it, right? He never did, not for once. And so a lot of times people get a, a skewed view of who the Lord is when all they see is him sitting with lambs and little kids. They forget about the stories when he came into the temple and he turned over the tables, right? That righteous anger. We've got to see him as a whole. Yes, we're thankful that he took on humanity. He was human. That's how he identified. That's how he was our substitute. See, there was no other way for him to be our substitute if he hadn't become man. Thank God for that. But he is divine. We always have to remember that. That he is and was divine and always will be. So the question was actually twofold. He was challenging them to see more than the humanity of Jesus. He also laid claim to being the son of David, the Christ, the son of the living God. And if they were unwilling to accept Jesus, they were unwilling to accept the Christ. That's what it boiled down to. Because most were unwilling. Most were unwilling. See, the promised one stood before them, and there was no need to look for another. We must embrace Jesus as the Christ. He came to earth fulfilling the plan to redeem Redeem mankind from sin. Through him there is forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to God, and eternal life. There's no need to look for another. There's no need to look for another. Jesus finished the work of redemption, providing our salvation. As the old song says, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Why do we feel the need to look for another? That's what the world's been doing since the dawn of creation, looking for someone other than Christ, than Jesus himself. He was there in the flesh, standing before them. He had answered all the questions. They had seen him perform miracle after miracle. And it wasn't enough. Even the raising of the dead. And it wasn't enough. And I want to ask the church, not just you in here tonight, not just you viewing by way of internet, but the church of the whole, when is he ever going to be enough? When is he ever going to be enough? He's given it all for us. And we demand more and more and more. We expect more. 
when really we should just be satisfied that he saved a wretch like me. That's enough. And that's more than I ever deserved, than you ever deserved. So much more. We can never pay him back. The great news is he doesn't ask us to. All he asks us to do is simply believe that he is enough. Believe that he is who he says he is. And don't question it. Receive it with childlike faith. Going all the way back to the beginning of this teaching, we see it coming full circle again. Just simply believe. Just simply believe. Is that so hard? Evidently, yes. Evidently, yes. It's hard. Verse 37, the last part of it. We see how they receive his deity. And guess who receives it? The common people. You and me. We would be the common people. It says, and the common people heard him gladly. Right? See, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they rejected the words of Christ, but the common people heard him gladly. Some people think um, that this may refer to their happiness about Jesus putting the arrogant scribes in their place, which I could see that. Like, finally, somebody shut them up, right? Because I'm sure all they ever heard for them, from, from the scribes and the Pharisees is, you're worthless, peasant right? You're never going to be me. You're never going to live up to, to my standards. You're never going to get to where I am. Don't you see my long flowy robe? Don't you see the big box on my head, right? And so finally Jesus comes and he kind of, he does put them in his place, but I can assure you that wasn't Jesus's heart. It would be my heart, but it wasn't Jesus's heart. But actually, it simply means that they listened attentively to Jesus' words with gladness. I prefer to think that they just simply received the words of Christ as truth. Again, that childlike faith. Isn't it exciting when the word becomes alive to you and it just like puts a smile on your face? Or even if it breaks your heart and conviction comes, that should excite the believer. Realizing that he's still working on me. He hasn't left me. He hasn't forsaken me. He's here. He's with me. And I'm going to receive it gladly, Lord. If it's from you, it's good. And I'm going to receive it gladly. That's how we should always be when it comes to the Word of God. We should always be glad to hear the Word of God. I think of those countries, and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, um, where the, the churches had to go underground. And the majority of them maybe only have like a torn page of the Bible. And that's all they have. And they read it over and over and over again. And they weep. And they rejoice. Why? Because it's the Word of God. And it makes their hearts glad. But we have 27 Bibles in our house. And they just have an inch of dust on them. Because we never open them. We never read them. Right? That's why I truly believe that for the church to, to take her rightful place in America, persecution has got to come. It's got to. Because we don't even know who the true church is. Everybody claims God. Right? Now, when you say Jesus, that takes it to a whole other level. But I truly believe persecution's going to come. And if you say, well, we've been experienced persecution, that hasn't been anything, nothing, compared to what people and other countries experience on a daily basis. A daily basis. I, I think I told you all that. I received a prayer guide from uh, Kylie. She gave it to me from Voice of the Martyrs, and it goes through, and it uh, breaks down all of these countries, and it labels them as hostile and uh, I think guarded, something like that, to that effect. And reading that and, and realizing that the majority of the world is uh, Sunni Muslim. I did not realize that. That's the number, that's the number one religion, Sunni Muslim. And, uh, and what one goes through to convert to Christianity. 
You know, we won't come to church if it's raining or if our big toe hurts. These people lay down their lives to accept Christ. They give up their families. They walk away from everything. Why? Because they know the importance. They know that if they have Jesus, they have everything. He's worth it. They realize that, but we've lost that here in America. And I could go on and on and on, and I'm not for time's sake because I'm running out of time. But the common people heard him gladly. They received his words as truth. We've got to stop questioning the word of God, trying to pick it apart, trying to make it fit or justify our lifestyles, and we've just got to receive it as truth and ask that the Lord would use his word to change me. Right? That's what needs to happen. While those who were supposedly educated in the scriptures missed Jesus, the common folks listened intently and received him. I want to say this tonight. It's always harder to unlearn wrong teaching. Right? That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. To unlearn wrong teaching and uh, we shared that with Brother Larson that back when we stepped away from the church and we were doing church of, out of our house, the Lord spoke to us clearly and said that he was calling us to unchurch the church. And at that time, we really didn't understand fully what that meant, but that's exactly what it meant, <laughs> to go back and to, to challenge those that the Lord brought to us to truly examine the word for themselves. And why do you believe what you believe? Why? Just because that's what you've always been taught? Or is this truly what the word of God says? See, I'll admit that there is much in Scripture that's beyond my ability to comprehend, much less explain. There are some things that I just can't explain. But that doesn't create doubt or... That doesn't alarm me that I can't fully wrap my mind around it. I do know enough to believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I do know that he's sovereign in my life and that he's promised me eternal life in heaven, right? So those things that I can't comprehend, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to embrace it and just believe it by faith and just pray that as I continue to grow in my grace and knowledge of the Lord, that comprehension is going to come. Because, see, there's some people who think, well, I've just got to know it all. I've just got to understand it. This just don't make sense to me. Not everything's going to make sense. That's called faith. <laughs> you just believe it. Why? Because he said it. And if he said it, that settles it. It's not up for debate. It's not up for review. It's enough. Verses 38 through 40, we hear the warning of the scribes and following um, the confirmation, the affirmation of his deity, although it was rejected by most there that day, Jesus turned his attention to the hypocrisy of the scribes. So here's the danger. He says to them uh, in his doctrine, beware of the scribes. So as Jesus continued to teach those who were interested to hear, you know, he always says to them who have an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit of God is saying. If you could care less, you're not going to understand. You're not going to get it. But if you have an ear to hear, you're going to get it. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal it to you. He offered a simple but stern warning. Beware of the scribes. Beware of them. And this is kind of amazing when we think about it. The scribes, again, were charged with copying the scriptures. They were expected to be well-versed in the word. Uh, a master of teaching, if you will, on the surface, these would uh, appear to be beneficial to those who needed guidance and direction, right? However, the very opposite was true. Jesus warned the common people to beware of them. Uh, this has the idea of looking away from, to avoid, don't give ear to. You had better know who you're listening to, who you are allowing to speak into your life what you're watching, what you're reading. Why? Because it's detrimental to your soul. Because just getting a little bit off course 
you can end up in a totally different place than you expected. That's how the enemy works. That's, that's what he does. So rather than embracing their teaching, Jesus told them to turn from it, to get away from it, to avoid them. I cannot overemphasize the importance of knowing what you believe and why. You need to know for yourself, right? See, our theological depth must be much deeper than relying simply on what we've heard and been taught. It has to have more substance than, well, that's what my mom always said, or that's what my grandma always said, or that's the way we've always done things. Our doctrine must be rooted and grounded in the Word. We must be like the believers in Berea, right? Acts 17 and 11. What did they do? It says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. That's why I encourage you, take notes. Write scriptures down. Go back tonight or tomorrow. Search it out for yourself to know if it's true or not. Right? That's what they did. And the key word, I believe, in that Passage is daily. Readiness of mind, meaning they prepared themselves to receive the word. I said it last Tuesday uh, over our Galatians Bible study. We should be a people so hungry for the word of God, so ready to receive the word of God, that on any service, we should be able to come in here I could just open the Bible to wherever, begin to read it, people begin to weep, people begin to come to the altar, respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't have to work up a crowd, create hype, entertain people, get them to a place of whatever, emotional highs, to then hope and pray that they would respond. Again, when is he going to be enough? And when I say he, his word. This word is living, and no matter where I would read from, it's going to hit you. It's going to search you. It's going to know you. It's going to probe your heart. It's going to discern the motives and the intentions of your heart. It's going to bring you to that place to make a choice. To make a decision whether I'm reading from Genesis to Revelation. It does not matter. If you have prepared yourself, if you have readied your mind when you come into the house of the Lord, you're going to receive it. You're going to hear it gladly. It's going to be good to you. It might even challenge you. I pray that it does. It might hurt. But again, thank God because he's working on us. He's making us more like Him. If we just come in and sit and, whoa, 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 and then get up and leave, what good was that? No good at all. No good at all. We should be ready to receive His Word each and every time it's given. The verses go on and says, And He said unto them in His doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces in the chief seats, in the synagogues, in the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers. See, Jesus revealed the reason for being aware of the scribes and avoiding them. They operated under deception. They loved the long flowing robes, as I said before. They loved to have the choice seats, right? They viewed... Uh, they loved being viewed as men of renown and importance and all of these great things, but Jesus knew that this was all an outward show. You know people like that. I'm talking about people who like have to... <laughs> when I say this, <laughs> when you have family gatherings or something and they have to ask the Holy One to say the blessing, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? And then it's this <laughs> big prayer that they probably typed out and 
studied and, you know, recited it to themselves in the mirror or something a couple of times. And I'm looking like, why in the world? <laughs> what are they even saying? I don't even know. So get ready. Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Type your prayers out. No, I'm kidding. Don't. Let the Holy Spirit pray, pray through you. Rely on Him. Don't rely on yourself. So we know that they operated in deception, but can I tell you this tonight? The greatest uh, betrayal, the greatest deception is giving, the false, giving a false gospel. And that's what they did. So many were given false teachings, false gospel. Do you remember? I remember when I felt like I could never be good enough. I could never measure up. I was always trying to do more, trying to be better, because I wanted God to love me more. I wanted him to think that I was great and that I was worthy. But then one day I realized I'm not. I'm not. I never will be. I never can be. He doesn't expect me to be. He just wants me. He just wants my heart. He loves me. If we could get a revelation of the love that Christ has for us, wow. If, if we got a full, true revelation, we would never get up off the floor. That's what heaven's going to be. Because we're just going to be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to truly realize all that he did for us. But while we're here, Lord, just give us a glimpse. Just let us see a little bit. And he does. Oh, he loves us so much, church. He loves us so much. And we've got to get that, that we can never be good enough, but he is perfect. And he, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He loved us. So how much more does he now that we've given our life to him? That's all he wants. He's always just pursued our heart. That's it. See, the world is watching while, seek, while uh, seeking something genuine. They know fake. People off the streets, they're not dumb. When they walk through the doors and they start talking to you, they know if you truly have a relationship with the Lord or not. They're able to see right through it if it's fake. Right? But it doesn't have to be fake. It can be real. He wants to have a real relationship with you. See, men may put on a good show, but eventually our motives and desires will shine through. Eventually they will. We'll be found out. I would rather worship with the genuine saint of God wearing overalls, barefoot, two teeth in his head, than somebody with a three-piece suit on looking like they just walked out of GQ, right? It's not about that. Where's the heart? Where is the heart? I love to hear people who are close with the Lord pray. You know, you've heard those people pray that you know they have a relationship with the Lord, and I just stop praying because I just I want to hear them pray. I love it. But you could be that for somebody. You just got to give him your heart. Just be real with him. He is a real Savior who longs for a real relationship with you. And if Christ has transformed our lives and we're walking with him, our behavior will reflect that transformation. Others will see a change in us. Lastly, and I'm trying to hurry, and the last verse here talks about what those will receive, the damnation that is to come. It says, these shall receive greater damnation. We don't like to talk about this, but it's needed. See, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, felt good about themselves while they were criticizing others. But Jesus revealed their eventual fate, what was going to happen to them in the end. These would face greater judgment before the Lord. Now, why did Jesus make such a statement as that? I believe we find the answer in the Gospel of Luke, 
Luke 12, verses 47 through 48, it says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. That right there tells us. When you're familiar with the word, you recognize these things. You should have recognized. The scribes and Pharisees should have recognized Jesus and lived to honor and serve him. Knowing the truth and rejecting it, all the while taking advantage of others, that's going to bring greater condemnation on you. I've said it before. When you come to this church, I can't speak for other churches, but when you come to this church and you sit under true, sound, anointed, biblical teaching, and you walk out those doors and you do the opposite, you will stand before the Lord and you will have to give an account. Ignorance is no excuse. So if you're not going to adhere to the word, don't come. I know that sounds bad, but it's going to be for your benefit. Because what you know, what knowledge you have, you're responsible for. That's what I just read. That's what the word just said. To know to do good and not to do it, that's bad. That's worse than not knowing and doing it. Because the Lord has grace and mercy in that. But when you come week in and week out and you know truth, you hear truth, but you do the opposite, you are putting yourself in a dangerous place. I can't tell you how many times that we have counseled with individuals. We take them to the Word of God. We show them over and over and over again. And then they go out and do the exact opposite. In my flesh, I just want to hit them. Because I'm like, why are you so stupid? Why? But then I'm going to say, don't even come back. Don't come back. I'm not, we're not counseling you anymore. Why? It's for your good. Because you won't listen. And one day, you're going to have to stand before the Lord. And when you come to me, I'm going to tell you truth. When you come to me with a question, you come to me with a a situation and a circumstance, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to take you to the Word of God, and then you're going to be held accountable for it. That's serious business. Very serious. I have felt led over this week to send texts and reminders and and things like that to people concerning voting and the weight of it. Because guess what? What we support, we will have to stand before the Lord and answer for. It's that important. Oh, it's just an election. If you vote, or even if you don't vote, you're going to be held accountable. You will stand before the Lord and have to give an account as to why you did or did not do whatever it may be. It's that serious. And I just felt led to let people know the seriousness of it, those that the Lord laid on my heart. Because I love them. I'd do anything I could to help them. Right? That's what we do for one another. That's what we should do for one another. Hear me tonight again. We are responsible for the truth that we have received. We've been given light, and we are accountable for the light. I wouldn't want to stand before the Lord being guilty of hindering another one in the faith while ignoring the truth that I had received, right? I'm convinced that we will all be surprised when we stand before the Lord in judgment. That's why it's so important to check our motives and to to allow the Lord to search us and to know us, to be sure that everything we do revolves around the Lord. That He is the center of our lives. That we don't make a decision 
without going to him first. We don't make a move. We don't even respond, especially in these days of social media. We don't become keyboard warriors and destroy people. But we pray and ask the Lord, is this going to help? Is this going to profit? Or is this going to tear down and, you know, if it's the word, it's going to help. Always. So that's what we should be about, the word of God. Tonight as you stand, these altars are open. I'm simply going to ask you to respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's some things in your life that you've doubted the Lord, you've worried. See, worry is the opposite of faith. It's saying, Lord, I don't trust you. Whether we realize it or not, that's really what it is. So maybe tonight we need to set some things right. We need to, to say, Lord, here I am again. And he's like, great. I'm glad you came back. Because tonight I want to pour my love out on you. I want to, to let you know I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm not disappointed. I'm not any of these things. But that you came to your father. You came to me, the one and only one who can do anything about your situation. So whatever the need may be, maybe you just want to spend some time with him. Do that just for these next couple minutes. As the music plays, just respond.
may that be our heart's desire tonight, that you be the center of our lives, the center of our church, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us, forgiven us, Lord, for taking so much for granted, Lord. But tonight, God, I pray that your word continue to sink deep in our hearts, Lord, that we know, that we know, that we know in whom we have believed. That, Lord, you would take us to your word to search it out for ourselves, Lord, that there would be no doubt, no confusion, Lord, but, God, that we would fully trust and obey your word. Lord, I thank you for each family that's represented here tonight, those that are watching, Lord. I pray that you continue to bless, that you continue to keep us, Lord, sustain us, Lord, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget weather permission.